All right, so I, I want to share my heart this morning. I want to share what's on my heart. Um, I want to share the burden of my heart this morning that's been weighing on me for these past five weeks. You know, these past five weeks have been an, an adjustment for all of us in many different ways. It's been an adjustment for us. And it's been strange. It's been challenging. Um, it's been something that none of us ever expected to see, uh, that the entire world can be changed in an instant. And so I have just been feeling some burdens in my heart for the past five weeks. They've been developing and growing in my heart, and I haven't fully expressed them to you yet as your pastor. And, um, you know, I, I have... I've been kind of adjusting as I'm going along here. You know, so we had the first lockdown happen. We had the first change in our plans around March 15th. And we had to adjust and go to three services. And then we had to adjust again and go to live stream. And then the live stream didn't work one Sunday. So we had to adjust again and go to the pre-record like we're doing right now. And so I feel like for a while I had just been adjusting and changing and, and just trying to make sense of everything that's going on. But all the while... I've been thinking deeply about the situation in our country. And, you know, it really reminds me, we're in the book of, of Colossians, and we're studying through, we're going to study through, through this entire book. Long after we are gathering back in this building, we're going to be in this book. And the center of this book is Christ. The center, the message of this book is the, the sufficiency of Christ. The message of this book is the centrality of Christ in all things. And the false teachers in this church at Colossae had come in and they had pointed the church away from Christ. And the Apostle Paul had some burdens on his heart for that church. And in this text that we're going to look at in Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul begins to communicate this struggle that he has in his heart for the church at Colossae. And I think that the words that the Apostle Paul speak, this struggle that he has, these words that he speaks to the church of Colossae in around 60 AD is the same type of burden and struggle that I have for you in 2020. And so here's what I want us to do. We're going to look at these words that the Apostle Paul says towards the believers in Colossae. And I want you to listen to these words and then I want to share the burdens of my heart with you. I want to share what God has really been pressing on my heart, what I've been thinking about, specifically about this situation. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. In Christ. So what does Paul do here in these first five verses of chapter 2? He expresses, he uses the words, I want you to know of the struggle that I have had for you. I want you to know that I've been struggling. It's kind of very, it's reminiscent of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when the Apostle Paul, and I, and I think I read it last Sunday, the list of his sufferings that he has, he has had because of his allegiance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the list of his sufferings, he says that on top of all of the sufferings, the beatings, being shipwrecked, going cold and naked and exposed, all the things that he went through, he says on top of all of that, I have the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And this is a similar type of language he uses here in Colossians chapter 2. He says, I want you to know of the struggle that I have for you. I'm struggling in my heart for you. There's a weight, there's a pressure in my heart, in, in my mind and in my heart for you. I'm concerned for you. And what have we been learning in this book so far? It's what I spoke about a couple moments back. That the false teachers had come in and, and they were pointing away from Christ. And that was his concern. That the church was looking away from Christ. 
that the church had lost their focus. They lost their focus on the sufficiency, the centrality of Christ, the sufficiency of his work of redemption for complete salvation, nothing added. And they were moving away from the centrality of Christ, being center in all things, and he was struggling in his mind because of that. He says, I want you to know that I've been struggling about this, thinking about this. And what does he specifically say? He says, he says, he says there's some people that are coming around and, and they're going to try to delude you. And that word delude means to deceive. They're going to try to deceive you with plausible arguments. What is a plausible argument? It's an argument that makes sense. It's plausible. It, it, it seems to be good. Seems to be, it seems to make sense. It seems to be rational in our minds. And this is what he's saying. These false teachers are coming in. And I'm struggling in my heart for you because they're coming in with arguments that make sense, that sound good to you. They're plausible arguments. They're arguing against Christ being all in all. And I am struggling in my heart for you. And so in that same way, in that same way, in that same train of thought, this is what I want to tell you. As your pastor, I have the same struggle. These last five weeks, I've been in the same struggle in my heart for you. And we may not be experiencing the same type of false teachers that are coming into the church in Colossae in 60 AD. But there are some plausible arguments that are around us, are swirling around our head right now. I mean, these are, these are crazy times that we live in. Who ever thought we'd be walking through what we're walking through right now? And there's so many voices that are coming in from the right, from the left, from in front, from behind, all around, there's voices and they're coming in and here's what can happen. Here's what was happening at the church in Colossae. These voices, these arguments were pointing away from Christ. The same thing can happen today. It may not be the exact same arguments that the church in Colossae was dealing with, but it's the same principle. Is that these are false Arguments that point us away from our relationship with Christ, point us away from our trust in Christ, point us away from the centrality of Christ in everything in our life. And so I've been burdened with these, and these things have been developing and growing in my heart. And I believe there are many plausible arguments, many ideas that are pointing us away from Christ, away from full devotion and trust in who he is and what he has accomplished. And so I could have come up with a longer list of what I came up with, but I really don't want to spend too much time with you here this morning going over a huge long list. I wanted to hone it in to bring a laser focus to some areas. And so I really have three areas I want us to look at here this morning that I would define as plausible arguments, as deceiving arguments, as things, that voices and messages that can come in that can try to push Christ out of the center of our life as believers. And so I'm going to frame it as this. Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deluded. Don't be deceived by these arguments, by these thoughts that we bring pressure to think. So here's what I want to tell you first. Here's the first thing I want to tell you this morning. Don't be deceived. Fear is a treacherous road to walk on. Don't be deceived. Fear is a treacherous road to walk on. You know, in the beginning of this time of transition and change in our church and in our community and in our world, um, I, I, I instructed our team to put out there on our sign by our road so people drive by on Highway 311, they can, they can read three, three words and it'll, it'll, it'll scroll through every few seconds there. And it's the three words, faith over fear. Faith over fear. What does that mean? It means faith is greater than fear. Faith always triumphs over fear. Faith over fear. And I want people to drive by there. And I want you as your church body to drive by there. And many of you have probably seen it. I want the general public to drive by there and see that. That faith is greater than fear. I want them to see that connected to a church sign. So they can connect the dots that faith in God is greater than fear. And so don't be deceived, my brothers and my sisters, my family. Don't be deceived. Fear is a treacherous road to walk on. And this issue of faith in the middle of circumstances that cause fear 
We need to realize that faith is what defines us as believers in Jesus Christ. Faith is what defines us as believers in Jesus Christ. That we are people of faith. We're not people of fear. We're not people to be controlled by fear. We are people to be controlled by faith. To be motivated by faith in our powerful God. We are people of faith. Look at Hebrews 11. This is called the the chapter of faith in the book of Hebrews. Listen to these words. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he, commended, uh, he was commended as having pleased God. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible To please him. To please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Must believe that he is. And that he rewards those who seek him. We are people of faith. We are people of faith. We are people who believe God in every circumstance. And this is my concern. This is my concern. That we are being pushed. Herded into fear. My concern is that we are being pushed against our will into fear. That we are being pushed into a corner and that fear is increasingly becoming the easier option. I'm concerned for you here today. As you're sitting in your living rooms with your family, that fear is the easier option every day as you're listening, as you're taking in information about this virus, about the economy, about everything that's going on. That fear becomes the easier option and we quit being people of faith. Now, I want you to understand what I'm not saying about being people of faith. I am not saying that people of faith are not wise and prepare. Now, I'm not saying that that if we're people of faith, that we don't have concern about our physical well-being and that, that that we don't take precaution and that we don't follow the instructions of, of the medical community just because we have faith. There's a difference between having faith and being foolish. But there's a bit, but there's also a difference between having faith and being overcome by fear. There's a difference. And though we are cautious and though we prepare and though we are careful and though we wash our hands 20 seconds and though we do all the things that we're supposed to do to protect ourselves and our families and and the vulnerable people in our society, we do all those things. We cannot stop being people of faith that we believe God in all circumstances and though it looks terrible. And though it looks like, I don't know how we're going to get out of this, are we ever going to return to a normal society? Though we have all of those thoughts swirling around us, we must be people of faith. My concern is that we are giving up ground to the enemy in our minds. That we're giving up ground to him. He's pushing us into a corner. He's taking advantage of the situation of this crisis. And he's messing with our minds. He's causing us to be fearful. And some of you right now, you're listening to me and this resonates with your heart because this has been your battle. You are afraid and you are fearful. Maybe for your physical well-being, but maybe also for your financial well-being and the future of your family. I want to remind you here today that God is bigger than all. God is greater than all. God is in control. And we can say that it is well with my soul, not because our circumstances are are perfectly right, not because our circumstances look the way that we want them to look or look the way that they used to look like. We can say it is well with our soul because our gaze and our hope is in God and that fear has no room, overwhelming fear, controlling fear has no room in our hearts because our vision of God is greater than our fear. You know, I've, I've watched more news these past five weeks than I've probably watched in the last five years. And I'm not exaggerating. I've watched more news in these five weeks than I've watched in the last five years. 
but before this time, I mean, if the TV was on, it wasn't on Fox News or any other news network. Occasionally, we'd put it on. And we might go a couple months, and some, some of you think, how do you stay informed? Well, I make sure that I stay informed. I have a news app on my phone, and I would occasionally just check the headlines, make sure nothing major is going on so that I, I'm not unaware of what's happening. But I just am not a news watcher because I don't like watching the news for all the obvious reasons. But I've been watching more news for the last five years, last five weeks, than I have probably in five years. And I want you to know I've felt the effect. I have felt the effect in my mind. I have felt the effect in my heart in the way that I feel. And I know that you have as well. There's many of us, that's, that's all we have to do, right? To either watch TV or ride our bikes or go grocery shopping for food. And so I want you to know I have felt what happens when we come under the influence of that information. And I am concerned that just as I have felt those things, that you are feeling those same things. As we are overwhelmed with information, that fear becomes the path that we walk on. So what, what is fear? Fear dwells, lives in the realm of possibility, of hypothetical. This is what fear is. When you fear, it's because you're looking ahead and you're thinking, this could happen. This might happen. It's hypothetical. That's what fear is. We're going to be flying for our vacation in June. Some of my kids are scared. They're fearful of flying. Well, what are they fearful of? They're fearful of what they're thinking about that could happen down the road. So this is what fear is. Fear will pave a road in front of you to walk on. Fear will pave a road in front of you to walk on. And you have to make a choice. Are you going to walk down that road? Are you going to walk down the road with the information that you're hearing in your mind? Are you going to walk down the road that fear paves? Fear is a treacherous road to walk on. Fear is centered on this unknown. And there are plenty plausible arguments that will cause this fear. And I just want to give you an example of what the news does. What social media will do. Have you heard of the story of the, of the Anchik the family? Sarah Anchik. This was on social media. I want you to catch this. This is what happens. I want you to know that not everything you, you listen to, everything you watch is true. You know people lie. People, people make stuff up so, so they can make money off of us. It's this true story. She's, she's scrolling and on social media and there's this story that this mask company manufactures masks. They stole her family picture, her husband and her wife and her three kids, they stole their family picture off of her Facebook page. And they used that picture to create a, a, to create a narrative, to create a story. And this is what the company did. The company said that the entire, that entire family died except for one of the kids because that was the only kid who used their mask. I want to quote this to you. So, so the mom started getting text messages and mess, and from, from family members and said, are, are y'all okay? And the whole family's alive. The company just made up a story and it was on social media. It was something for us all to watch. Now listen to what the, listen to this quote. And th- this story is on CBS News, Fox News, CNN, all the news outlets. It's been confirmed. Sarah Antrick told CBS that she was inundated with Facebook messages from concerned family members and friends after the ad appeared. The ad claimed that the family became victims of the coronavirus pandemic after attending a church service. Wow. It said that all but the youngest son had died of COVID-19. The video describes a teenager's survival as a result of their face mask. The teen is falsely identified as a member of the Anshik family. How many people watched that video and thought, this is why they got to close all the churches. This is why we can't go out in public. This is why I got to buy this mask. And it's fear. It's propaganda. It's fear. And this is my concern. Is that as we're hearing all these messages, we don't know what's true. We don't know what's, what's false. And there's so many messages that we're hearing today. My fear, my concern, is that we will become people of fear and not of faith. Fear will pave a road for you to walk on. But as believers, we are people of faith. We don't walk down the road that fear paves. 
Our trust is in our good shepherd. What does our good shepherd do? He doesn't provide a, a, a treacherous road for us to walk on. What does it say in Psalm 23? That our good shepherd leads us besides, beside still waters. Not a treacherous road of fear. You know, I think an example of the posture of our heart during this time is reflected in Daniel chapter 3 in the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar, he made a decree that when the music is played and it was time to worship the, the golden image that he had created, that when the time came that everyone had to bow down and worship the image, the three Hebrew children, they worshiped the one true God. They were not going to bow down to a false God. So word got back to the king and he had a conversation with them and listened to this in Daniel 3. I think this represents the posture of our heart, what it should be during this time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you're going to cause, tell us we've got to worship this idol, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to, do, to deliver us. If you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace because we don't worship your false God, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, wow, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What did they say? They said, O king, God is able to deliver us. And he will. But if not, let it be known to you, we will not bow. We will not bow. People of faith, a settled posture of trust in God. And that is what I want in my life. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for my church family. I want you to have that heart of faith of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that, hey, I know God is able. And even, even even if we have to suffer, even if we go through those circumstances that are difficult, we will not bow to fear. We will not bow to the attack of the enemy. We will not bow to his intimidation. We will not bow to his lies. That we will be people of faith and of trust in our God. May we have the settled calm, a settled calm during this time. Our trust in a, in a sovereign, all-powerful God. We are not People of fear. We cannot allow fear to be our master. What did Jesus say in the Gospels? You can, you can only serve one master. You can only serve one master. We cannot allow fear to be our master. We are people of faith. So this is my first concern for us here today. This is what's been resting on my heart because I've been resting in it with you. I have been in this with you. I've been listening and paying attention and hearing all of the arguments, all of the words, all of the news. All the statistics, all the, the experts. We got to be people of faith, no matter what goes on all, all around us. Don't be deceived. Fear is a treacherous road to walk on. So here's another plausible argument that I believe is important for us to think about. Secondly, don't be deceived. Hope is not found in the strength of man. Don't be deceived. Fear is a treacherous road to walk on. But don't be deceived during these times. Hope is not found in the strength of man. Many of you here today, as you're watching this, you got a little bit wealthier overnight last week. On Wednesday, I believe it was. You had a direct deposit, did you not? You had some money in your bank from the government. And now look, I'm thankful for every increase. Because I recognize that all increase comes from the Lord. And so I'm thankful. And I'm going to honor God with the first fruits of all of the increase that he gives us. I'm praying that God would help me to use it wisely. And I pray the same for your life. But it's an interesting position that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in a position where we are looking for hope in the strength of man. 
We're looking for hope in what man can do and what the government can do to fix this virus, what the experts can do to come up with a vaccine and with a therapeutic drug. And we're looking to the great strength of our country. How many times do you listen to the news and you listen to our president, you listen to everyone talk about it and and there's just continued talk that we are a great nation and we will recover and we will get through this because of our greatness, because of our strength, because of our ability. Don't be deceived. Our hope does not come from the strength of man. Our hope does not come from our ability to pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps and to make it happen. And look, I am grateful for the ingenuity of our, of our people in our country. I'm grateful for the scientists and, and the experts and the ones that are, are working hard for a vaccine. We need a vaccine. And I, I'm grateful for those that are testing the therapeutic drugs to treat this virus. And all those things are good. I'm not saying that they're bad. But where's our hope? Where is our hope? And this is my concern for us is that we will be walking in fear, overcome by fear, and we'll be looking for somewhere to place our hope, and we're going to look at what is right in front of us, what is the great, big, mighty things that we see happening in our world today. We will look away from God for hope. Psalmist David says this in Psalm 121, verses 1 through 2. Listen to what what the psalmist says. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? What's the psalmist saying there? He says, I'm looking to the hills for help. Isn't that what we do? We look to the things that are high, that are big. Look to the mighty things. We look up to the hills. And he asks the question, from where does my help come from? Is this where my help comes from? And he answers the question. He answers his own question. No, my help comes from the Lord who made the hills. Who made the mighty things. Who made the heaven and earth. Who made the heavens and earth. I look to the hills. From where does my help come from? I look to God. The maker of heaven and earth. This is where our gaze so naturally goes to in a crisis. It goes to, to, to man-made uh, uh, symbols of strength. But we need to be like the psalmist. We need to look at God. The psalmist clearly declares, my help comes from the Lord, the one who made the hills. Our hope is in the maker of heaven and earth. It doesn't matter what the government does or doesn't do. It doesn't ultimately matter who is in leadership and if they lead appropriately and make the right decisions. Our hope is not in their ability to make the right decisions. Our hope is not in man. It's not in the strength of man. Our hope is not in, the, in, in President Trump's super team of business people to open our economy. Our hope is not in the scientists coming up with the vaccine or with therapeutic drugs. Why? Because our hope, this is so important, I want you to hear me. Our hope as believers is not fixed on this life. And that reality was true before the virus happened and it is, it is true now and it will always be true that our hope in this life is not centered or find its found, finds its foundation in this life. That's not where our hope is. Don't be deceived. Our hope is not found in the strength of man. Our hope is not found in this temporary life. This temporary life is not a great place to look for hope. It's not found here. For far too long, I want you to hear this. For far too long, the church has bought into the American version of Christianity. I want you to hear this. This is, if you can't see this right now, then you're not looking. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. If you can't recognize this right now, for far too long, the church has bought into the American version of Christianity. What is the American version of Christianity? It's not the version of the Bible. I can tell you that right now. It's not the version of the, of the apostles who were martyred for their faith. It's the American version of Christianity. It's a false gospel. For far too long, the church has bought into the American version. And what is that version? It's the version of your best life now. Your hope is in this life now. That has never been the center of Christianity. The center of Christianity has always been Christ at the center and what he has accomplished on the cross to prepare for us one day a home in heaven. Eternity is the center of our hope. The finished work of the cross is the center of our hope, not this present life being all that we want it to be. 
False teachers have hijacked the gospel and they continue to do it today. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is that you, me, anyone else listening to this, that we would stop giving false teachers a platform by listening to their lies. How do you give false teachers a platform? You give them a platform by listening to their lies. They're trying to get you to place your vision in the temporary things of this life, in collecting more things and and placing your hope in this idea that if you have enough faith, you you can make things happen perfectly in your life in the here and now. Wake up. It's time to wake up. Peg those false teachers by their message. Are they pointing to Christ as the all-sufficient sacrifice for the sins of humanity? Or are they pointing to Christ as a means to our own end? You can peg it real quickly. We need to quit giving these false teachers a platform by listening to their lies on their YouTube channels, on their websites and their TV programs. Time for us to realize, to shift. If this crisis doesn't cause us to realize this reality, then I don't know what will. We are not promised that we're going to go through this life unscathed. Actually, all of us don't make it out. No one makes it out of this life alive. We all die. The truth is that what is most important to think about is not whether you're going to die or not or how you're even going to die. The question, if you're watching this here today, the question you have to ask yourself is, am I right with God? Am I right with God? Have my sins been forgiven? Do I have hope for eternity? Not hope now, not a fat bank account and a nice house and a nice car. No, that's not what Christianity is about. It's about what have you done with Christ? Do you believe that he is the son of God? That he died for your sins on the cross. Have you placed your hope in him? Have you done what is said in Romans 10, 9 and 10? Have you believed in your heart? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is God? And that he was raised from the dead? That's the hope of the gospel. That he was raised from the dead. Did you catch what Drew Brees said last week? No pun intended. Did you catch what Drew Brees said? Because he throws footballs. I don't know if you caught it. And maybe I should say it like this. Did you, did you hear what Drew Brees said a few, few days ago? He said this in an article. Drew Brees says this. American people need sports right now. American people need sports right now. I love you, Drew. <laughs> and you're a great man. And from what I gather, you're a man of faith. But I have to tell you, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. 100% wrong. American people don't need sports right now. American people don't need the distractions of sports. American people need hope. Real hope. Not a false hope that sports bring. They need the hope of Jesus Christ. And I believe Drew would agree with that. American people need hope. Hope, hope that is not centered on this temporary life, but hope that is eternal, hope that is centered on Christ. So don't be deceived. Your hope is not in earthly things. Lift your eyes to the maker of heaven and earth. Look at Romans 8 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, you feel the groaning of all the times to feel the groaning now. Don't we feel the groaning that this isn't, this, isn't what, this isn't what we were created for as God's children? That there's something greater, something better, something glorious ahead. And this moment like this causes that groaning for eternity to deepen in our hearts, or at least it should. 
And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our physical bodies. For in this hope were we saved. What's the center of salvation? Eternity with Christ. That's the hope of our salvation, that we will be with Him forever. Now hope that is seen here, this is back to what I was telling you earlier, hope that is seen is not hope. If you're placing your hope in what is seen, that is not the center of hope, Paul says in Romans 8. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Our eyes are up. We look to the hills. Do we look to the hills for strength, for hope? No, we look to the maker of those hills, to the maker of those mountains. We look for hope in God. Don't be deceived by plausible arguments of temporary hope. Lift your eyes above what you see. Place your hope in the only one worthy of your hope and trust. Place your hope in the only one worthy of your hope and trust. The more you listen, to the plausible arguments of our world today, the more that you will be tempted to look away from God, the only source of true hope in this situation that we're facing. Lastly, as we look at this third and final plausible argument, this is what I would tell you, so important for us to see this clearly. This is probably one of the most impactful thoughts of this whole message that has been really weighing on me is is this, don't be deceived. We are in a fight to not lose our spiritual edge. We are in a battle, my brothers and my sisters. We are in a battle to not lose our spiritual edge, the sharpness of our faith in Christ. To loot and to, we are in a battle to become dull. Are we going to stay sharp for Christ, sensitive spiritually, or are we going to become dull? Have you ever tried to cut something with a butter knife? You ever tried to do that? It doesn't work very well. Well, I've got it as a way to illustrate cutting with something dull, cutting with something sharp. I've got a butter knife and I've got a, a razor blade box cutter. If we're not careful during this time, we're going to become dull spiritually. Our sensitivity to the things of God is going to become dull because we're trying to cut through all the information and decipher what is true. Hear me. We're trying to cut through all the information we're hearing. Five weeks listening to the same amount of news in five weeks I I have in five years. What am I going to use to cut through all that information? Am I dull? Is it dulling my sensitivity to the word of God? Is it dulling my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's voice in my life? Are we becoming dull? Don't be deceived. If we're not careful, we we can become like a butter knife. And we we, we, look, I, I could cut through this. It would take some time. I could cut through it with this butter knife if I really pressed and worked at it, but that's, that's not a picture of the Christian life. We're called to be able to cut through the information that we're hearing and the feelings that we're having because of what we're hearing. We're, we're supposed to be able to cut through that quickly, to decipher through that quickly, to be discerning quickly, to understand, to be spiritually sharp. It's supposed to be like this box cutter and pray for me and I don't cut myself. But watch this. This is what we're supposed to be like. Right there. Spiritually sharp. Not much effort. It doesn't take a lot of effort. If you stay spiritually sharp, you stay in God's word, you stay connected in prayer. My concern is that we're, we're going to lose our spiritual edge. Because of all the information that is coming in our lives. If we're not careful, we, we can become like butter knives when we need to be like razor blades during this time we got to think clearly we have to think with a sober mind we have to be able to think clearly during these times when all this information is coming in we have to be sharp spiritually not dull like a butter knife look at first peter 5 8 be sober minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour what does it mean to be sober I mean, to be sober-minded. It means to not be drunk, right? If you are not sober, you are drunk. The opposite of sober is drunk. A drunk person has, a drunk person has dulled 
senses. I, I could rub this on my finger right here, and it doesn't do anything. It's, it's dull. If I took that razor blade, and I did the same thing. You'd have to, we'd have to have a medic here. We'd have, have to stitch this up, probably. So someone that's drunk, they don't have clear senses. They're not sharp in their thinking, right? They're dull in their senses. They can't evaluate life correctly. If you're dull spiritually and you've lost your spiritual edge because you have gone into a cave, hear me. If you've lost your spiritual edge, you're in this time because you've gone into a cave and you're walking down the pathway of fear and you're placing your hope in the strength of man and you've lost your spiritual edge, you're not going to be able to think clearly about these circumstances and situations that we live in. You're not going to be able to walk in spiritual discernment. A sober person on the contrast, by, the, by contrast, he thinks clearly. A sober person can dissect with precision, just like this knife cut with precision. If I had to continue to cut with that butter knife, it would have been jagged in its cut. But with this butter knife, with this razor blade, it cuts with precision. It's clear. It's clean. It's sharp. And during these times, it has felt like the twilight zone, hasn't it? Let me speak real with you. It felt like the twilight zone. It's felt like we're living in an alternate reality. The other day, I was going to Rouse's to do our grocery shopping. I'm walking into Rouse's, and so now Rouse's off of St. Charles, you have one entrance. The normal entrance is no longer the entrance. It's the exit. You, you exit one way, and you enter one way. And as I'm walking up, there's these loudspeakers on the outside of Rouse's. And in the loudspeakers, they have this robotic-sounding female voice. And it's saying the same message on loop. Please be mindful of social distancing. Keep six feet from other shoppers. And it's saying other messages. And be careful for, for good, and, and practice good hygiene. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. Use hand sanitizer. And it's this rolling message. And as I'm walking up and I'm listening to this, I, I feel like I'm in a movie. Like I'm watching a movie about the end of the world. And, and this is a twilight zone. What world am I living in? And in those moments, and I walk in, and I, I see people, and there's masks all over the place. And, and, and when you walk now into the public, everyone is paranoid. It used to be in Rouse's before you walk around, and you may bump into somebody by accident, and, and you just apologize, and it's no big deal. You get, you, get within, you get within eight feet of somebody, and they're looking with kind of crazy eyes at you, like, you better back up, buddy. Everybody's paranoid. Everyone is gripped by fear. And everything has changed in our world in an instant. And it feels like a twilight zone. And if we're not careful, we can be lulled to sleep. If we're not careful, we can be lulled to sleep. This is the temptation to be lulled to sleep spiritually. You you need and I need discernment during these times. We need discernment. Not everything the media says is true. Not everything the government says is true. Not everything you hear is true. We need discernment today. There are issues that are big issues that we need to be concerned about today. We need to be able to think clearly. We don't just need to go with this current of the world right now and then we're just going to go full speed in this direction. No, we need to be, we need to be in the world but not of the world. We need to be Clear-minded. And when you think clearly, so I want to implore you, don't be, don't be drunk. Be sober. Don't be dull like a butter knife during this time. Don't just dive headlong into the current of this culture right now that is filled with fear, filled with anxiety, filled with a one-track mind about this situation. We have to be discerning today. If you're not careful, you'll be chasing conspiracy theories. If you're not careful, you'll be chasing conspiracy theories. If you're not careful, you'll get caught up in the circus of the news cycle. And let me tell you, it's a circus. And if you're not careful, you'll be so, so dull spiritually that you give up ground to the enemy. We must be discerning. Why? Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. This is not all about the physical world. This is not just about the coronavirus. I want you to hear this. Hear me. Hear me clearly. This is not just about the coronavirus. 
There's a spiritual battle going on right now in the heavenlies. There's a spiritual battle taking place, not only in the heavenlies, but in your life as well. And this is not just about a physical virus. There are other issues that are at stake. And we need discernment. What does Ephesians 6 say? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit to have a sharp edge. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take it up that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't allow fear to be your master. Be a person of faith. Be a person of hope in God. And I just want you to know, I'm going to state the obvious here. This only makes sense if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you here right now only makes sense if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you understand that this life is not all that matters. This temporary life is not all that matters. If you understand that, this makes sense to you what I'm telling you. If your identity is centered around earthly things, none of this will make sense to you. But if you belong to Christ and your identity is in Christ, you need to wake up. If you've just been going the way of the culture right now. You need to ask the Lord to help you to stay spiritually sharp. You need to cast off the fear and the anxiety. You need to put, put, lift up your eyes to the maker of heaven and earth. And you need to begin to pray. We need to pray, church. We need to pray. We need to pray that God would give us sensitivity. We need to pray that we would be his mouthpieces. We need to pray that we would keep a kingdom mindset during these times. That we will not go into a cave, but we, will, but we will bust out of the box. And that we will be clear speaking believers. That we will declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be people that are not paralyzed by the moment, but are empowered by the Spirit. So who are we? Who are we? What is our identity? We are redeemed been bought back by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. The sin debt that was too much for us to pay has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are justified legally before the courtroom of heaven. Because of our faith in Christ, we are justified. We are children of the Most High God. We are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. This is who we are. We're not people of fear. We're not people who have lost our hope. We're not people that have, that have gone the way of the world and the way of culture. We're not people who look to the strength of man. We are children of God. This is who we are. We have a hope that is not fixed on this earth. We have an eternal hope, a hope that surpasses all that we see. Who are we? We are ambassadors of Christ. This is who we are. We are called to represent Christ in a world that is hostile to the gospel. We are ambassadors of Christ. We're called to represent Christ in a world that doesn't want to hear the gospel. We are called to proclaim the only message that has the power to save. The only message that has the power to bring the dead back to life. Don't lose your spiritual edge. Don't forget who you are in Christ and what he has called you to do. Don't lose your spiritual focus during this time. This has been the burden on my heart. I have been struggling for you, been struggling for me and for my family that we would not give in to the twilight zone, that we not just go the way of the world and the current that we're being pushed towards, that we would not be overcome by fear, but that we would be filled with faith and hope in a sovereign, all-powerful God. And that we would not lose our spiritual edge and our spiritual focus for the clear mission that God has called us to. I want to be ready 
like a runner on the starting block. Have you ever seen, you ever seen the runners at the Olympics? This is how I feel that we are right now. We haven't been meeting. We haven't been doing. We've been doing. We've still been doing outreaches and things in the community, but we haven't been gathering. We, we, we haven't been in full force here. And, and I feel like I want to implore you and, and I want to speak to my own heart. I want to be ready. I got a picture to show you. I want us to look like this. I want us to look like those runners in that picture. We're on the starting block. Our head is down. We have our focus. We're not looking to the right. We're not looking to the left. We're looking behind us. We're ready. What, and what are those runners waiting on? They're waiting on, they're waiting on that sound. That gun. To say it's time to run. I want us to be ready. For whenever we get back to what God's called us to do in full force. I want us to be like those runners on that starting block. We're waiting for the sound. And we're ready to go. We've been sharp. We're staying sharp. We're walking in discernment, not controlled by fear, filled with hope. And we know who we are in Christ. We're ambassadors of the King. Amen. It's my heart for you here today. I love you. I love you. These are unique times. But these are good times. These are times that are necessary. What do times like this do in our life? It forces us to evaluate what matters most. So what what do you want? most to happen in your life through this quarantine through this season I asked that question on the Facebook live a couple weeks back and Mindy Hinden Mindy Hinden she commented precious member of our church her and her husband Jesse and Mindy she said this I think it's so true it stuck with me she said that what she wants on the other side of this situation is to, is to have a changed heart. And that's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for Mindy. That's what I want for my heart. That's what I want for my family, that we would have a changed heart. That's what I want most. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that that we would take these admonitions and these encouragements and that we would put them to action in our life. God, I pray, God, that we would be people of faith and not of fear. That we would be people who, who do not look to the strength of man for our hope, but that we look to an eternal, all-powerful, all-sovereign God for hope. Lord, I pray that we would not become dull like butter knives during this time, but that we would be sharp like razor blades, sharp spiritually, that we walk in discernment and that we think clearly. I pray for our church family. I pray that they would be protected and safe, that be healthy and strong. I pray that you would help them in their finances. I pray that you help the parents, the mothers, the dads that are at home with the kids and, and that now summer is going to be four months, five months. And they're struggling right now in their thinking in all these areas. I pray that you'd help them during these times. Build our families. Strengthen our families. Strengthen our faith. Change our hearts to be more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I love you. And I will see you next week.